Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed, because life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. He said, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build some bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and all my other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now, Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You're a fool. You'll die this very night, and then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, this person is a fool to store up wealth that is earthly and not have a rich relationship with God. Thank you, Joel. I'm not going to actually speak on that text, but you'll discover it becomes kind of the framework around which uh, the sermon is constructed today. Would you stand with me? Lord, we've uh, so enjoyed your presence this morning. the good reminder that you are among us, that you walk down every aisle, that you know every need, and that you love us. Oh, we're so glad to be reminded because sometimes we have a misconstrued idea about who you are or tough things happen in life and we see you as someone who is out to punish us rather than to love us. And we need your perspective always. So, Lord, would you just uh, open the eyes of our hearts, yes, Lord, this morning, to see you in the context of, of the material things, the finances, the blessings that you've given to us. And may we get it correct in our hearts as to how to view that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. This is kind of a perplexing sermon uh, for me to preach this morning. It's not difficult for me to teach about the call of God upon our lives to be generous. Uh, I learn a lot from you. I really do. Uh, I'm inspired uh, by the fact that many of you are so generous. And then as I watch your lives and as I see your generosity, I say, when I grow up, I want to be just like that. I want to be generous. So that's the great part of being part of TCC. And I read all the things that Jesus said about giving. And they all make a lot of sense to me. So I have no problem attempting to communicate what Jesus told us about giving. 
What I struggle with this morning is the fact that many would long to be generous. Many would long to be generous. That's not the issue. The issue is the inability right now to be generous because of life's circumstances. And the culprit is debt. And debt has a way of keeping us from being free to bless others the way we would want to. Debt has a way of binding us up and stealing our joy and bringing vast amounts of fear into our daily living. In April 2014, just a few months ago, the Washington Post ran an article titled, Happy Days No More. Middle-class families squeezed as expenses soar and wages fall. And the article described what is called the drawn-out, disquieting shift that is recasting what it means to be middle-class. Specifically, the authors note that the wages for millions of workers have flatlined while expenses have increased. One guy said, I don't care about being rich. I'd just rather be comfortable and not have to struggle every month. You've probably heard it said that married couples often fight about money. Not that you've ever experienced that. A little friendly fire in the home because of finances. Well, new research shows exactly how often that's true. According to a survey conducted by the American Institute of CPAs, financial matters trigger an average of three arguments per month for married couples. That rises to four per month for married couples ages 45 to 54. Now, I'm not sure why. I'm guessing that the intensity of expectation increases for this age category where people says, we ought to be past this. We ought to be getting this together. The most common source of contention is disagreement over what's a want, what's a want, and what's a need. The, most, the next most common issues are unexpected expenses and insufficient savings. That crazy car breaks down at just the wrong time and it changes everything. Got to have a car, but where do we get the $1,000 to get it back on the road again? Now, who of us can't relate to that? Well, we say we live in Edmonton, the land of promise, but not for everyone. Cost of living is high, the expenses are high, and sometimes the job opportunities that fit our particular skills are just not there. So this can be a very difficult place to live. And it can be a hard place to live, especially when you look around and you think you see people just soaring financially. Look at them go. And then you say, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? How come we can't do that? So let me get above this this morning if I could. Let's climb 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 feet and just kind of look over it all and say, first of all, that financial choices, financial freedom is related to our choices. 
the choice of which road to, tra to travel. There are two major philosophies of life that have tremendous implications. Owner or steward. It's the philosophy of how you see yourself as you travel through this life. How you see yourself as you travel through the years that God gives you is absolutely view, uh, critical as to how you view money and how you handle money. So whatever road you take, you end up in quite different places depending on the philosophy you adopt. Are you an owner or are you a steward? Do you see yourself as the owner? Or do you see yourself as a steward, simply a manager of all that you have? And now an owner looks at his or her possessions and says, it's mine. I worked for it. I earned it. Put a lot of sweat equity into this thing. And it's mine. An owner looks at his or her time and says, it's mine. It's mine. I can do with it as I want. This is, the, this is my time and I'm on my schedule. And if I want to spend my time doing this, I w I'm going to do it. It's my time. And that's my business. An owner looks at his or her family and says, they're mine. They're mine. An owner looks at his or her abilities and gifts and talents and says, they're mine. That's, wh that's who I am and they're mine. I can build things. I can calculate challenging mathematical equations. I can do this. I can do this. And it's about me and what rightfully belongs to me. A steward, on the other hand, adopts a different philosophy of life. A steward looks at the possessions that he or she has, our house, our car, our furniture, everything, and says, you know, this is not really mine. But am I ever thankful for these gifts from God? And I'm so blessed to be able to take care of them for a season. And look at the home we live in. Wow. Is this ever a blessing? Who would have ever thought that we would have a place to live like this? And it's beautiful. And we love it. But it's not mine. And I can't keep it forever. And I'm just looking after a gift that God has given. A steward looks at his or her family and says, what a blessing. I have a great mom. I have a great dad. I have a spouse. I have children. I have grandchildren. But really, they're not mine. They are gifts from God. And they're in my life for a season so I can bless them and so I can cheer for them. And so I can care for them. And so I can encourage them. I'm certainly deeply attached to them. I'm emotionally bonded to them. But I know deep in my heart that I can't keep them forever. They belong to God. A steward looks at God's creation, at this beautiful world that God has made and says, Lord, it's yours. Oh, what a beautiful creation. What a beautiful landscape. What a beautiful sunset. And Lord, I will look after it. I will preserve it. I will manage it as best I can. And a steward looks at his or her abilities and says, Wow, God, oh, thank you for that ability. That's what you gave to me. That's a gift from you. And I will honor you and, and I, will, I will use that gift to help others. 
This is not about me trying to make a name for myself and taking credit for what you've given. I will seek to manage the giftings and the talents and the abilities that you've given because you were the one that gave it. So those are two quite different roads. And at the end of one road, ownership, when we think we're the owner, there is a feeling of incompleteness, unhappiness for some, discontent, a continual striving like, maybe I should have a little bit more. On the other road, there's a sense of freedom, amazing freedom. When you can say, I know I don't own it. I acknowledge it right up front. I don't own it. It all belongs to God. So freedom comes when you can say with all of your heart, it's yours, Lord. It's yours. I try to pray this prayer as often as I can. It's yours, Lord. This life you gave me. This family you gave me. The gifts you gave me. It's all yours. It's all yours. I used to be a little nervous to pray it that way. But the reality is, regardless of our philosophy, it's true. It all belongs to Him regardless. So may as well pray it. May as well get your heart into that and accept that because really, the truth is, it is is all His. So this day is yours. And I'm yours. And these people, Lord that have come this morning. They're yours. And all of the resources that you've given us, stack it all up. It's tremendous. But they're all yours. And the challenges that we face, they're all yours. As is everything we hope to accomplish. It's all yours, Lord. It's not ours. You know what that is? That's freedom. That's freedom. God gives us a freedom. When we move out of the driver's seat as owner and when we get in the passenger seat as steward. It's a prayer of freedom. Freedom. I'm suddenly released from being the owner and I'm reminded that God is the owner and He is a masterful owner. He does a superior job when He is allowed to be the owner. We hand it over and we humbly say, Lord, help me to be in the right place at the right time. I believe we're in the right place at the right time this morning just to be here. Whatever you need, Lord, we're your servants. Tell us when, tell us where, tell us how, and we're willing. That's a steward. We're stewards. Oh, what freedom. I want to suggest that one of the ways that we switch from the driver's seat to the passenger seat, from owner to steward, is by simply learning to give. Learning to give. You know, sometimes we, we learn in different ways. Sometimes we take a book and we, we read it, we comprehend it, we say, ah, I think I got that. Other times you learn by being on the job. Actually trying it. We call it work experience. On the job training. Doing it. You learn generosity By doing it on the job. Just start or just continue on. If you got started a long time ago on this road, just keep taking more steps. 2,285 times this word is used in the Bible and the word is giving. 
the word is giving. Paul, the apostle, grasped that concept as he ministered to the early churches. He speaks with great clarity to the church in Corinth, and he puts it this way. You already excel in other good qualities. You have faith, knowledge, enthusiasm, and love. Now add generosity to your virtues. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Well, as I said this morning, and I'm very honest, I have learned so much from TCC and, and many people who are part of this vibrant community. I've watched and I've been inspired to keep on the road to being generous. I want us to review a principle today, and it's the principle of generosity. And I'd like to just try to put my arm around that word and, and be reminded of five spin-offs that come to us when we head out on the road called generosity. Generosity is like spiritual aerobics. Why do you do aerobics? Well, one of the main reasons is cardiovascular. It's good for the heart. It's really good for the heart. Giving is a great cardiovascular exercise that's good for your heart. Every time you give, something happens in your heart. Every time you make some progress on moving from owner to steward, it's good for your heart. It's good for your heart. Let me show you how. Number one, giving makes us more like God. Giving makes us more like God. The very essence of who God is, is this quality. God's a giver. God's a giver. That comes easily. That comes authentically from God. Because that's who He is. That's His nature. It is not necessarily our nature, as you may well have noticed. But if we're going to be like God... We need that quality in our lives. We need the giving quality. And God is a giver. Uh, you could present to me a number of verses that support that statement. For example, James 1.5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Do you remember when you, we were really young as kids... And we did these family exchanges at Christmas time. And even the kids gave to other kids or the cousins gave to the cousins and so on. How interesting that my parents bought the gifts that I would give to a cousin or that I would give to my own brother. They bought the gift, they wrapped it, and they put my name on it as the giver. You know, that's very much like God. Listen to these words from 1 Chronicles 29, 13, and 14. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. There it is. <laughs> There's the reality of our giving. If I give anything in this life, I'm just giving what God first gave me. It was never mine. I'm just, I'm just passing it on what God gave me. Well, 1 Chronicles 29 is the absolute best support for that truth. When we give, we're learning a little bit more about the heart of God and seeking in our own modest way to be more like Him. Secondly, uh, 
giving draws us closer to God. In September 2013, that's not quite a year ago, there was a man in Brazil who developed what the doctors called pathological generosity. Have you ever heard that before? Pathological generosity. The story is that he suffered a stroke. And that part of the brain was affected from his stroke, causing him to have an excessive and persistent urge to help others. Lord, give us strokes like that, eh? <laughs> Imagine, he has a stroke, part of his pain, uh, brain is affected, and it makes him want to help people continually. Uh, he wouldn't stop giving money and gifts to people he barely knew. According to his wife, he would buy candy and soda and food for kids that he met on the street. He quit his job as a manager of a large corporation. Mr. A, as he's called, was put on medication for depression because he was depressed. Uh, which he said the medication cured his depression, but his pathological generosity remained unchanged. <laughs> I love that. Lord, touch that part of our brain and give us all pathological generosity. Jesus made the statement, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. For where you place your treasure, for where you place your treasure, there you will find your heart. So where's your heart? Where's your heart? Well, it's wherever your treasure is. Where's your treasure? Career? Hobby? Sports? House? Some material possession? Publicity, fame. Wherever I put my money reveals my values and reveals what's important to me. It reveals my priorities. And every time I give, whether to God or somebody else who has a need, it's an act of worship because my heart goes where my money goes. Jesus told us that's how it works. Your heart goes where your money goes. So whenever God sees you being a giver, being a giver in the kingdom, being a giver to people around you, being a giver to your family, being a giver at work, a smile comes to his face because he knows you're growing. He knows that you're understanding his heart and his priorities. He looks at us and he says, that's my boy, that's my girl. They're understanding. They're growing to be like me. They're coming closer to my heart. And giving draws us closer to God. Thirdly, giving breaks the grip of materialism in our lives. Oh, what a tough job to get out of the grip of materialism. Our world is built to keep us from getting out. Everything is so attractive in the world of consumerism... It feeds into what is really natural for me, to be a consumer rather than a giver, to build as many layers of security around myself as I, as I can, and to keep saying in my heart, you've got to get one of those. Boy, you, oh, you're missing something. You need one of those, and you need one of those. 
A preacher said, um, paid a visit to a farmer and he asked him, if you had $200, would you give $100 to the Lord? <laughs> sure would, said the farmer. If you had two cows, would you give one to the Lord? Sure would, said the farmer. If you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord? The farmer replied, that's not fair. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> Giving is never easy. Did you see the journal on CBC some time ago? This elderly couple won $11 million in the lottery. And they gave it all away, every penny. They didn't buy anything with it, but they blessed others. It's pretty amazing. She said, well, the report was that she had cancer, and they lived in an older home. But she said, and he said as well, we have everything we need. What more do we want? And they gave it all away. The only antidote to materialism and the pull of consumerism is the freeway of generosity. See, once you pull onto the freeway, you significantly lessen the tug of materialism. And sometimes and suddenly you feel free. And you experience the fresh breezes of contentment and joy and satisfaction. And what a feeling it is when you bless others by being generous in so many facets of living. By the way, if this is appropriate, might I encourage you to teach your children what you've learned about generosity? I don't know how you, how you support kingdom ministries, but maybe let your children see you writing out your tithe check or your financial gifts to the church. Not so they can go and tell other people, but so you can model generosity to them. Because they're going to have to break the grip of materialism just like you. And they're, they're, they're probably being raised in a tougher context than we are. And are they ever going to have to struggle with it? So parents, teach them. Teach them. Talk to them about it. Don't let this be just something silent and quiet, but help them understand from when they're very, very young what mom and dad are doing, what mom and dad see as priorities. And uh, you can know that they will face exactly the same challenges and even more difficult. Do they still have those happy meals over at McDonald's? <laughs> I haven't been to McDonald's for a while. Ha but haven't they done a good job in advertising Happy Meals through the years? I mean, you're not just buying fries or McNuggets and a dinosaur stamp or whatever it is now. You're buying happiness. You're buying happiness when you buy a Happy Meal. Their advertisements have convinced our children that they have little McDonald-shaped vacuums in their souls and that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in a Happy Meal. Problem with a Happy Meal is that the happy wears off and they need a new fix. You ever wonder why Ronald McDonald wears that grin? Such a pasted-on grin. What, 20 billion Happy Meals will put a grin on your face and that's why he's got a grin on his face. And when you get older, you don't get any smarter. Your Happy Meals just get more expensive. 
And giving, you see, breaks the bond of materialism in our lives. Fourthly, giving strengthens our faith. Well, these are the words of our Lord in Mark chapter 12, sitting across from the offering box. He was observing how the crowd tossed money in for the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called his disciples over and said, The truth is, this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All of the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Sooner or later, we have to decide, can God be trusted with our finances? Can he be counted on to keep his promises? So many promises. If you just take the scripture and start to go through them, my God will supply all of your needs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, and he will direct your paths. Honor the Lord with the first part of your income. And he'll bless you. Bring all your tithes into the storehouse and see if I won't pour out a blessing so much you won't be able to bear it. And I, do I really believe Jesus in Luke 6:38, give and it shall be given? And then this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, give not with regret or out of a sense of duty, for God loves the one who gives gladly. God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more so that there will not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. Isn't that a great verse? Listen, there are times in our lives as followers of Christ, there are times when God comes along and He challenges us to do something out of the ordinary, way beyond we, what we ever would think in our human ability. Lord, I can't do that. And he'll say, I want to move you out of your comfort zone. And I want you to do this. And you say, I, I just don't think we could. And you will make that commitment. And you will be in for the greatest adventure of your life. And you'll see God do miracles. You'll see God provide in ways that you would have never imagined. And what an adventure, because giving strengthens our faith. It is faith-building. Fifthly, giving is an investment for eternity. Years and years and years ago, uh, a couple went to Harvard University, and they asked to see the president of Harvard University because they wanted to make a donation to the university, although the president didn't know who he had when they walked through the door. The president agreed to see them, but he didn't know them. And because they were from somewhere out west, he treated them rather curtly. After enduring the president's rudeness for a few moments, the woman finally turns to her husband and says, Come on, Leland, I think there are better things that we can do with our money. The man was Leland Stanford, founder with his wife of Stanford University. The president of Harvard missed a great investment, made an assumption, and he had before him very generous people. You know, we're always looking for great investments. And that's always been the question. What does a good investment look like these days? 
We've all heard the expression, you can't take it with you. But there is another way to look at it. You can make investments that will go on ahead of you. Eternal investments. That's how Jesus encouraged us to think. He said, send it on ahead. Remember his words from Matthew 16, or 619. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. But store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. I'm going to spend more time in heaven than I am on this earth. So why not think and plan for some heavenly investments? This life will soon be over, but heaven is for all eternity. How do we store up investments in heaven? Paul spoke to that in, in first, uh, first Timothy 6, 18 and 19. It's in the Living Bible. Use your money to do good, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given you. By doing this, you will be storing up real treasures for yourself in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. Now let me close by just giving you two things to consider when you contemplate investing in eternity. The first is, I cannot outgive God. I cannot outgive God. Every time you give, God says, He'll give it back to you. He, he is a much bigger giver than you are. Now, this is not the prosperity gospel, but that's a principle that God has put in place. And, oh, you'll be surprised at how it comes back. And, in fact, you shouldn't be too focused on, on getting it back, just on giving it. But you'll be surprised and you'll be amazed at how God has a bigger shovel than you. And somehow it is how he decides to bless. He's sovereign. He's amazing. And uh, you'll shovel it to him, and he'll take a bigger shovel, and he'll shovel it back to you. But just focus on your shovel and be surprised and be blessed because you don't know how he's going to shovel it back. And when you see his shovel, just worship him and say, Oh, God, there you are again. You're blessing me again and again. Only God. Just give him the praise and let it be a lesson that you can trust God, that you can trust him. The second thing is that I will always reap more than I sow. I will always reap more than I sow. And that's always true. That's true in anything. It's true on the negative side as well. If you sow criticism, you will always reap more criticism back than you sowed. If you sow gossip, you will always reap back more gossip than you sowed. If you sow anger into the lives of people, you will always reap back more anger into your own life. But it works in a financial realm also. When I plant an apple seed, I don't get one seed back. I get a tree full of apples. When I plant a bushel of wheat, I get a truckload of wheat. Instead of one bushel, an acre, I get 50 bushels an acre, maybe 100 bushels an acre. So the measure you give, the Scripture says, will be measured back to you. And there's an amazing cycle to all of this. It's called the law of agriculture. And God keeps filling our basket again and again. 
And we learn to keep giving, and God amazingly and by His grace gives it back so that we can give it again and so we can bless others and so we can make an investment in eternity. It's not about us. It's about the cycle of blessing other people. So I say we serve a very awesome God who loves to move us right onto the freeway called generosity. And when we're on generosity freeway, it's quite a trip because most of all, freedom reigns in our hearts and miracles abound and lives are changed and investments in eternity are the norm and our hearts overflow with the joy of His presence. So may we find His financial freedom as we continue our journey with Him. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Heavenly Father, uh, you remind us today that it all belongs to you. In fact, your word says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to you, Lord. And, And first, Lord, we just want to simply say, forgive us for being selfish. Forgive us for straying off of our, on our own and uh, forgive us for being filled with independence and pride that I'll do it my way. Lord, every breath is a gift from you. Oh, we're so grateful. Every, every person in my life is a gift from you. All of your ways, Lord, are, are a blessing and they're wonderful gifts. So keep taking us further in our trust journey so that we might trust you for every part of our lives. And Lord, may we be that generation that is rising up to take our place with selfless faith. And give us hearts to pray and seek so that our generosity and love may impact this world and the mission of Jesus Christ would be completely what, it, what you want it to be here. Lord, use this church. Lord, use this church for your honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen.